This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sector's podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Destinations International, where registration for this year's annual convention is now open. Join your peers in Dallas, Texas for an amazing week of learning, networking, and camaraderie. July 18, 19, 20. Go to destinationsinternational.org to learn more and reserve your spot. And now it's on to our show. Jack Bonney is Vice President of Destination Services at Visit Anchorage, the DMO for the communities inside the municipality of Anchorage in Alaska. In that role, he is responsible for government affairs, community relations, workforce development, and oversees member services and visitor services. He's worked at Visit Anchorage since his first tourism job in 2010. His prior roles at Visit Anchorage focused on PR, media relations, and print and digital content management. Prior to joining Visit Anchorage, Jack worked in broadcast journalism at news outlets in Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. He has called Alaska home for more than two decades. Jack Bonney, welcome to DMOU. Bill, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. It was great uh, hanging with you at the Advocacy Summit a number of months ago when we uh, we got together to uh, talk smack about advocacy with Destinations International. And, and you know, we were talking uh, before the red light came on about, how, you know, every destination is a little bit different in how they have come back from the plague. Some urban destinations that really relied on meetings at conventions still are kind of struggling, but a lot of destinations in those parts of the country and North America that feel somewhat removed from big city life bounced back pretty fast. What was your experience? Yeah, I think we bounced back a little bit faster than others, although I'll say we we got back to the same size, but with a lot of difference. So it wasn't necessarily a back to normal thing. It was just back to a big year. So we still had kind of a a soft year in terms of cruise visitation, although we finally got it back after two years of not having any cruise visitors at all. That's about 40% of our visitation in a pre-pandemic year. Yeah. Yeah. Still a little soft on conventions, but it looks like this year we'll be back into the $90 million in economic impact kind of levels that we saw prior to all of this. I think the really, the thing that saved our bacon was independent travelers. So the number of people who who just said, to heck with it, I'm going to make this the year, I'm going to go visit Alaska, I'm going to buy a plane ticket, fly to Anchorage, and use it as my base to explore. That was really eye-opening and really incredible to see. Yeah, and we've loved our time doing just that when we've been to Anchorage. It's a wonderful base camp for almost everything that you want to do that's Alaska. So thanks again for coming on. First question, I can't tell you how many DMO pros have asked us, how do you enter the community engagement space? Because that's not really what most of us signed up for 10, 15, 20 years ago, although it was critically important. And I just don't think we understood that it was. Your background in broadcast news obviously made it a little easier. So Tell us your definition of community engagement, which is, as you say, telling other people's stories. Yeah. I mean, for me, community engagement is really about slowly dismantling the perceived barrier, the perceived fence between, say, visitors and residents. So at the root of it, visitors want an authentic place, the quote unquote real version of the place that they're visiting, the lived experience of the place that they're in. And locals, by and large, want to be seen or heard and understood. And they, they want to know that 
welcoming people into some place that's their home is a win-win. So the, the cardinal rule for me is just listen, 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 listen to both what your visitors are asking you for of the place, but also to what your residents want out of a visitation or, you know, just what they're, what they're getting from it, I guess, what they're able to share about it. You know, I was fascinated, and we had um, Catherine Callery on a couple of months ago talking about how their DMO is working with the indigenous people in the region. And that classic quote that she shared with us at Advocacy is from the indigenous population is nothing about us without us. Essentially saying, you know, we've been telling their stories for so long. And to your point, listen, 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 let's find a way to give their voice that amplification. So tell me a bit uh, what you're doing. You're actually amplifying the indigenous message of the Alaska Native Heritage Center, right? Yeah. So uh, first off, I mean, Catherine's an excellent example of it. There are others who are doing this way better than we are. And second of all, I guess we're by no means finished with it. We're so conditioned as marketers to follow this as a cycle of plan and then implement and then measure and then assess and then repeat. And this is a journey that we are on a path. So we typically think of these things as action and then outcome, but this requires really constant nurturing. And the thing that got us going on this was historically travelers to Alaska have frankly a low familiarity with Alaska's indigenous cultures. And there is more than one, even in our location, we're talking about the whole breadth of all of the different indigenous cultures of Alaska all coming together in one place. So coming into it, travelers have a pretty low understanding of any of those cultures. But if you ask them again at the end of their trip, what's the best thing that you saw during your visit? All of a sudden, Alaska Native cultures and the ability to understand these cultures and these stories shoots way to the top. So it, it really hinted to us that there was more that could be done here. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, listen, listen. It's It really is about making sure that people are able to tell their own story in their own voices. And really it's our businesses is not to be the owners of that story, but just the experts and the advisors who can help them share it on their own terms. And maybe that's why for you and I, this is fairly second nature because both of us came from broadcast journalism. And so we're used to asking questions and then asking follow-up questions and continuing to do this. What would you recommend? I mean, uh, for somebody who really, this is not the way they're wired, but yet it is so important to what we do. Is it the play act being a reporter? Yeah, I, I think getting started is just do your research, like take stock of who the people, the players are, who has that voice. And I should add as a side note that, you know, Anchorage is one of the most diverse cities in the nation. And so Alaska Native cultures are just a few facets of our place. There are are so many, many stories of people who've come up from, say, the Philippines to work in fisheries that just ended up staying. We have a fairly large Pacific Islander community. So there are so many stories. None of them are things that I'm an expert in. None of them are part of my lived experience, but we all share this place. So what's our role? What's my role in this? The expertise that I bring to the table is really the ability to communicate and inform and connect with travelers and understand how the travel industry works but it's not as the owner of that story. We're not experts in that way. So I think it's more important that we think of our roles as like an amplifier, as someone who can make that story get louder or go farther or reach more people. And isn't that the beauty of diversity for any 
tourism destination. It just gives us more and cooler stories, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think by tradition, by language, by geography, we're not talking about one thing. You're not just putting up the poster of what people think of when they're coming to the place. You're trying to introduce a ton of nuance and just looking at Alaska native cultures. You know, our visitor guide opens with a land acknowledgement from the Denina Athabascan people. We acknowledge them at every industry event that we run, but that's the start of a conversation. That's not the end state. It's mm -hmm. you, you kind of have to listen and then say, okay, now what, what are we going to do to support our residents and our community yeah. and make things better? So next question, you said in our pre-call that a key aspect that people have to kind of get their arms around when it comes to community engagement is that you got to be there with your partners in the boring moments. Tell us what you mean by that. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it really means that if you're waiting until something is on fire to try and make your introductions, you're doing it wrong. It is, is really hard <laughs> to introduce yourself when alarm bells are ringing in the background. So I always counsel that you establish the relationships that matter when there's nothing going on so that they know you, they know what you do, and side note, what you don't or can't do and where you can help them and how they can assist you. Um, you can't afford to sit back and have the knee-jerk reaction when something goes wrong. You have to think of it more like tending a garden. You have to kind of plan ahead and have some forethought and really spend the time on the upkeep and maintenance of it. And that means that you're there for you know, visioning meetings for projects that won't even be blueprints for another three years. You're going to be in the room for run-of-the-mill work sessions where you've got one thing on the agenda that maybe is tangentially related to your job and then a whole bunch of stuff that is just part of the regular public process. And it means saying hello and introducing yourself to anyone in any civic group that you think you might need to know at some point in the future. Yes, yes, I want to talk to your club. Yes, I want to help with your program so that you understand who I am. I understand where you are and we've come together and figured out this is where we see alignment. This is where we can work together in the future. I think COVID was really a crash course for a lot of our residents on what tourism was. It used to be that there was this sense that this was something that was happening off in its own little bubble and you didn't have to worry about it. You saw some benefit from it, but day to day, those folks were over there and I was here doing my thing as a resident. So all of a sudden, we had all of these community stakeholders asking us, you know, what's happening with tourism? Why aren't people coming? Oh, wait, this affects real Alaskans whose livelihoods are on the line, not some theoretically faceless business someplace else. This isn't something that happens in like an alternate reality. So if you establish yourself as an expert in that way, you can move on to what kind of help is needed. Did that work? How is it doing now? It wasn't something that they could be complacent about and they can't assume anymore that it's just going to take care of itself. And I should add that the, the challenge now is going to be we can't let residents drift back to thinking that tourism is on autopilot just because things are moving up and things are looking better. It's still going to require their attention and their investment in both marketing and the physical place to make sure that we continue to be competitive. That's not something that they're just going to have happen off by itself. It's something that we need their help doing. And it's a two-way street. I mean, as we've been seeing over the past couple of years with uh, Longwoods International's resident sentiment study on a national basis, is the majority of Americans support tourism if they're involved and if there's an active 
line of communication where they feel they can suggest, they feel their voice is heard, they know what developments are coming next. So this really goes a long way to making sure that our communities, those of us that are seeing big numbers coming back, don't end up getting bitten by the quote-unquote over-tourism issue. Yeah, I think that's really the trick of this is we've always had a really good story to tell by the numbers, but we're seeing more and more places where the big number is not enough on the balance sheet of an everyday resident to say, yes, I want tourism because of that economic impact. It has to be more than that. It has to be there's an economic benefit. There's a social aspect. There are other intangible things where I see value that comes out of the visitor and the visitor industry. So yes, it's about money, but it's also about so many other things. So we had a a candidate for office a while back who was not in the industry. And we asked him, you know, what his experience was with tourism. And he said, well, my business is construction. So the way that I interface with tourism as a construction person is I'm building the stuff that eventually is a hotel or an attraction. And that's a perfectly valid answer. I don't need everybody to work in travel or tourism, but I do need everybody to see how it intersects with their own life. And I like your point, and I'd never thought of it this way, where you say that being present and having that engagement with your partners, even in the slow times, helps them better understand us to the point that we can manage their expectations. Because you're right, there's some things we just can't do. Yeah, I think it's really important to have your local stakeholders understand what it is you do and why it's important that you do what you do and why you don't spend your time in other places so that you're not having that conversation over a need or an ask in the moment. They're not coming to you saying, I don't know enough about you to know whether this is your thing or not. Can you do this? You get to kind of jump that awkward piece of the conversation and move on to, okay, well, I see what you're trying to do. Are there other ways that we can help with this instead of it being an immediate no? You're not just saying no straight out of the gate because they know you well enough to not ask or to ask for something that is part of your core strengths. Yeah. And I think having the relationship ahead of time really resonates with many of us uh, in this industry that knew Phil Craig, the uh, late director of the Ohio Association of Convention and Visitor Bureaus, his mantra, which many of us took to heart and and probably repeat, it's it's probably repeated somewhere in this country every day. And that's, you got to be there before you got to be there. Yes, right, absolutely. Anybody that subscribes to that from an advocacy standpoint, you're already halfway to community engagement because every single person in your community, they may not have a big voice, But if they've got enough of a voice to get with the council person or with the mayor or with somebody who can get to the council person or to the mayor, they're just as important as the council person or the mayor. Yeah, I I think what makes this so challenging for us is we are used to, especially now, a more or less quick turn, instant gratification understanding of whether the thing is working or not, and whether it's, it's paying off to be doing the thing that we're doing. If we see that you know, an ad buy isn't working out, we pull the plug on it. This requires you to take your measurements much, much later. Yeah. So when I do this work for a year, I get maybe one or two shots per year to go and, and do, you know, some resident sentiment surveys and say, how are we really working? Knowing that that needle can move, but it can move really, really slow. And there's only so much I can do to move that needle every year. Yeah. So last question, you said something at advocacy last fall that really stuck with me and kind of caused me to scribble your name down and say, get this guy on DMOU. 
You said that rather than butt heads with rookie news people who almost always get the story wrong, because I know I did, <laughs> we should reach out to help them understand why what we do is so critically important. And and it's, it's important not just to the community, but to their audience, the people who are actually reading or listening to what they have to say. I'm guessing this notion of yours has a backstory. So who took you under their wing in Anchorage uh, like you're advocating that we do with the uh, media folks we bump into? Yeah, for starters, I mean, I was once a rookie journalist, and that means you're constantly just switching between all sorts of stuff. You've got you know, a movie release to a traffic accident to a new piece of legislation to sports scores. And so when you're new to that, you need people on the other side of the coin to help you get what you need and get it fast. And most of the time, I was rarely coming from a place where I was out to get someone. I just needed the deepest dive possible to understand and to share what was going on with the audience. And I mean, I'm saying that as somebody who left news during the financial crisis in 2008, and it's only gotten faster and harder and leaner to be in a newsroom since then. Right. And especially in a market, uh, you know, a community our size, there are kind of two two routes for most journalists. Either they're playing the game, especially in broadcast, where you want to be in a bigger market. So you're going to be in Anchorage today, but you might be in Medford, Oregon, or you may, you know, upgrade it really far and be in Wichita, or you know, you're playing the game of getting to a larger audience. So you're only going to be here as you learn your chops. Right. But Every once in a while, there's somebody who, for some strange reason, I don't know why, falls in love with Alaska and wants to be here and cover the stories of Alaska for, you know, the better part of their career for 20 years, for 30 years. So do I want to just roll my eyes every time somebody new comes up? Or do I want to take the time to say, I'm going to help you find the story and understand what we're about? Because one, there's a chance that you're going to be the guy who's on the evening newscast for the next 20 years. And, and two, just because you can help me tell the story that I want to. So I worked for a woman uh, named Betsy Robertson at Northwest Cable News, and she was really the first person on the news side of things who showed me just how to get out of the way and let people, individual people, tell their story because they're going to tell it better than I can as a reporter. So nobody likes hearing from the floating news narrator voice if their alternative is they could hear it from a, a real person. So my job for her, she tasked me with, you know, find the start of the story, ask the right questions, follow it to the end, but really shut up and get out of the way when you find that story. And then, you know, jumping over to the DMO side of things, when I got to visit Anchorage, uh, there was a woman named Jeanette Anderson Moores, who was our VP of communications. Mm -hmm. And at the time, she knew everybody in our community's news circle. And she did that by being of value to any reporter on any story that she could be, even if it didn't directly benefit our company or organization at the moment, because over time they got to know that you're a resource and they bump into the stuff that's important to you and they want to help your company when they can. And perhaps most importantly, when I say, you know, sorry, I can't help you with this one, they know that there's a legit reason behind that. It's not in our lane or there's some other very good reason. It's not just me sticking my head in the sand or trying to duck a difficult question. Well, as Jack Johnson at Destinations International has said several times over the past few years, you know, how do we expect that anybody in the audience knows what we do when our own family can't figure out what we do? And that we have an existential issue here of telling that story. But it's a hell of a story. 
I mean, what we do is so interconnected, as you said earlier, to everything else in the ecosystem of our lives. And most cub reporters come up and don't have that knowledge. It's, it's a little bit of a non sequitur, but I saw a quote unquote study that was done by some graduate students that were in, I don't know, government affairs or they're learning to, to run cities. And so you'd think that they'd kind of, you know, by the time they're getting towards the end of their first or second year, have an inkling of how some of this works. And one of the authors of the report just boldface said, DMOs are superfluous. They don't matter anymore because we all get our information on social media. Not realizing, of course, that we're powering a lot of that social media and it wouldn't happen without us. Mm. And yet that's where this person, they've never used a bureau. Okay, great. That doesn't mean that they're outdated and have no value. And so we forget that people just don't understand what is so second nature to us. And you're right. If, if you can ever help somebody understand something, you've made a friend. Yeah. It's funny. You know, you mentioned you can't explain it to your own kids. I've been doing a lot of career fairs lately, uh, everything from college all the way down to middle school. And even in a place like Alaska, people lose sight of what makes the place they live special. So yeah. if I can spend some time with a seventh or eighth grader and let them see the place that they live through somebody else's eyes, that does wonders for my local pride of place. That does, that benefits the product that I'm putting in front of visitors long-term. It doesn't matter whether I can pitch them on a career in tourism. If the only thing they take away from talking to me is you live in a place where people want to spend thousands of dollars to explore from end to end. And that's just your backyard. That's your drive to school every day. Win. Like we've, we've done what we need to do to plant the seed to get them to understand what it is about uh, yeah. visiting this place. Well, it's a hell of an industry and one that I know both you and I can't think of ever leaving. It, it gets the, its claws into you and holds you, but it's because of that interconnectivity. It is that it touches every facet of our world and we can see with our own eyes how much better it makes quality of life, quality of place. We just have to share that story over and over and over again. Like I say, it's just, it's Groundhog's Day. It's, it's gonna, tomorrow you got to tell the same story or hopefully a better story. And so um, thanks for, uh, for your uh, thought leadership on that whole concept. Uh, let's get to your bonus round question. You'd like to say that you were born traveling. You were a proud army brat and the perspectives that comes from a childhood spent on the move has served you well in the professional travel world. So tell me about that childhood and what you took from that as you moved into being a pro in this world. Yeah, I think being a, a brat, a self-described army brat, is it means that you're an observer and a bit of a chameleon first because you're fitting in wherever you go. It wasn't until I was a lot older that I realized that the lived experience that I had where every two years you would pack up and move someplace else, like people considered that weird or bad. It was just, I didn't know any better. That was just the way of it. So looking back on it now, it means that you really get deep into a place because you're not from there. So you bring an outside perspective, but you're getting groceries, you're paying rent, you're, you're going to high school football games and hanging out with people at the 4th of July picnic or whatever that you know community has. Matter of fact, somewhere there's a cassette tape of me as like a kindergartner speaking with a British accent because we lived in England just long enough that, and I was pretty young at the time to pick up that way of talking. <laughs> 
So <laughs> you get to play around a little bit with what's special about every place. And most people have to wait a whole lot longer in their life to do that. So it's this incredible perspective that gives you a sense of what's yeah. common ground, no matter where you go, the good in people that you find wherever you go, but also the things that you say, wow, I never would have guessed that's what that place was about and what that's what that place was like. I had this, this other thing in my mind and it's, I was totally wrong. I, I totally understand why people live there now. So what were some of your ports of call? Oh gosh, I've lost count of how many elementary, middle and high schools we stopped at. Um, I was born in Germany. I lived in England. I lived in Oklahoma, North Carolina, New York state, Utah, um, Washington state. We bounced all over the place. So wow. for me, you know, it gave me a really early affinity for Germany. We have a direct flight between Anchorage and, and Frankfurt that served me well. We have a really nice German program here, which I was able to finish high school in. So yeah, I, I have really fond memories of bouncing around car trips across the country to pile three or four of us in a, in a two door coupe and, you know, cruise across halfway across the country in a car with a dog at your feet. Like that was how we moved around then. It wasn't the jet set lifestyle. It was, you know, Wendy's hamburgers every now yeah. and again. And as you were moving, had you affected the dialect? Had you affected the, uh, the speech patterns at each destination? I mean, you said you did it when you were in England. Yeah, I, I really wish I could go back and listen to the way I sounded moving straight from Oklahoma to Alaska. I would bet you that the vowel sounds are so much yeah. different, and I've just never noticed it. But that's the kind of stuff that yep. you develop an ear for it, too. So I feel like I'm a little bit more attuned to yeah. it than I would be otherwise. Yeah, there are some parts of the country that I can pick up almost immediately. There, and A lot of them I can't. But uh, our funny story from our family, and it doesn't take long to assimilate, right? So we had spent a week on the South Coast, mostly in and around the Mobile area with my youngest, who at the time was probably, I don't know, five or six. And at home, when it was time to go to bed and she wanted us to come up and either read or, or whatever and tuck her in, she would just scream out, ready! And we'd go up the stairs and tuck her in. But the first day back from mobile we hear her rustling and then she goes y'all come up here now and give me a kiss and we went oh that didn't take long that was a week <laughs> and she's talking like a pro so anyway hey jack thanks for all you do as being part of one of our favorite dmo teams honestly and and you know you know we had julie on a couple of years ago talking about just what that secret sauce is up there for you uh, but also thanks for sharing your expertise at destinations international and right here on dmou so glad to so grateful for the chance yeah. that's it for this edition of dmou tell your friends and your peers this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories it's dmou.com thanks again to our sponsor our friends at destinations international where registration for this year's annual convention is now open join your peers in dallas texas for an amazing week of learning networking and camaraderie it's july 18 through the 20th and go to destinationsinternational.org to learn more and reserve your spot. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, position papers on board diversity, and a new model for destination development, the book Destination Leadership, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, plus access to past episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.